morning again. The I am statements of Jesus are meant to reveal who Jesus Christ actually is. Right? And, and one of the things that is so interesting about these statements is that they're spoken by Jesus who is both fully God and fully human. So he's not only revealing God to us, he's revealing true humanity to us. It's not only that if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. It's that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen us as we were actually intended or created to be. That's how Jesus answers our questions. Not totally as an alien, if you will, but as God who is at the same time one of us without taking away from the essence of either. That's who Jesus is. We are frail. We're frail. We, we don't know the way home. We lack the objectivity that we need in order to see the truth clearly. And we're all on the clock of our own mortality. Who can deliver us? Can anyone deliver us? We spend our whole lives trying to find answers to certain questions, but sin and death, our inheritance from Adam, have destroyed our ability to discern the truth. They've taken our lives from us, but there is a way. And the way, the truth, and the life that we're all so desperately trying to find are not hidden in a concept. They're not the result of a search to find ourselves, nor are they the composite of our choices and opinions or experiences. The way, the truth, and the life converge in a person. This is the Son of God. That is who Jesus is, and only Jesus is. Only Jesus is a sufficient answer to our questions because Only Jesus is sufficient to stand in our place before our Maker. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read a portion of this text from John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read 14, verses 1 through 6. Our Lord said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Our Father, Your Word from heaven, Your Son, Jesus Christ, is our only Savior. In Him alone, God, we find the way home. In Him alone, we find the truth that unifies all knowledge. And in Him, we find life. May You reveal Him to us this morning. Will You help me preach in such a way, Father, that we can all see Him and hear Him. And I ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus alone. Amen. And you may be seated. Let me back up just a little bit to 1336. Just to set this in context, Jesus is 
teaching or has been teaching his disciples. It's the night before he's going to be to be crucified. Jesus is about to die and about to go to the Father. The question hanging over all of that for them immediately is, what will become of those here that still believe in you? Right? That's often the same type of question we are asking. What about us? It's how we feel sometimes. What about us? That's the question that clouds the heart, the hearts of his disciples. Let me read verse 36 of 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Amazingly, Peter's focus is not on the massive, life-defining command that Jesus has just given in verse 35, to love one another as he has loved them. That's not even on Peter's radar. He can't hear the command. Instead, his focus is on the problem Jesus revealed back in verse 33. He's leaving. That's all they can hear. What you're, you're leaving. And he's been talking about this or alluding to this. Well, where is he going? And as Jesus has and will continue to reveal to them, he's going to the Father. And they cannot follow him there unless he dies for them, until he makes the way. So where Jesus is this night and where Peter is are two drastically different places of understanding or perspectives. Peter lives in the now, in the moment, like all of us. Wait, you're leaving? You're going to leave? And Jesus is doing what will provide the only way of salvation for Peter, the disciples, and all of us. Jesus will return to the Father by no other way, though, than His death and resurrection. But Peter, again, often like the rest of us, thinks the answer then is to take matters into his own hands, keep Jesus where he can see Him, because any other alternative is unthinkable, right? Any other alternative is unthinkable. Keep Him where you can see Him. Keep Him where you can touch Him, no matter what the cost. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I have no doubt that Peter meant that when he said it. I don't doubt his dedication. I don't doubt his devotion or his desire. I don't doubt yours. When your desire is to never forsake Jesus, but we have to understand the distance between what we can do and who we are and what Jesus can do and who Jesus is. There is a gap so wide it can't be measured. The whole reason Jesus is dying is precisely because even our best intentions to be godly, our strongest desires to please God, to honor Him, will fall desperately short of His holy and righteous standard. That is why we need Jesus. That is why His life and His death are so important for us. Both of them. Both His life and His death. Look at verse 38. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter probably was not ready to hear that he's a lot more like Judas Iscariot than he is like Jesus. Right? That would not have been easy to take. He's banking on his ability to do something to keep Jesus, to hang on to him. And it's not that that's a bad impulse, it's just that it isn't God's design 
If Peter was actually going to serve Jesus the way that Jesus required, Peter was going to have to die to Peter. That is, he was going to have to finally fail miserably enough to see his need. He was going to have to fail miserably enough to finally be faced with the reality of his need. Alexander McLaren said, We may be stronger for our sins. Not because sin strengthens, for it weakens but because God restores. Now, I know it's possible to misunderstand this, but there are lessons we just will not learn until we fail and find that the arms of Jesus will always reach us no matter how low we fall. I imagine Jesus, I wonder, I wonder if he said it almost, verse 38, with a kind of sympathy or mercy in his voice. Really, Peter, you you will die for me? You aren't getting it. I will be the one doing the dying. I will die for you. Only my death will make you clean, Peter. Only my death will get you to God. You don't die for your salvation, Peter. I do. Right? It would be to your ruin to try to stop what's about to happen tonight. Look back at the end of verse 36. Jesus told Peter that he couldn't follow now, but he would follow Later, because Jesus will purchase his salvation. Jesus will do something that will enable Peter to follow later. Peter won't morally improve enough to do what he wants to do for God. Jesus will accomplish something that will enable Peter to follow him where he wants to go and to be with him. That's when Peter will finally follow Jesus, first in death, then in glory. Peter's claim here, my desire isn't to insult the man at all, it's, it's, it's that his claim displays the depth of our ignorance about our own condition, even when our intentions are good. Remember, Jesus came to accomplish what you and I cannot accomplish. He came to be the one human being dedicated to God without wavering, and He came to do that on our behalf, for us, in our place. He didn't come asking us to lay down our lives for Him. Not finally. Right? We think of when Jesus says those things that seem to be about self-denial, and they are to a degree, but really they're about self-preservation. Jesus is saying, you don't want to lose your life. Save it. Right? That's His, that's his rationale. You don't want to die. You want to live. So die, right? Let go, come to me, and you'll live forever. That's his bargaining chip, if you will. You want to live, don't you? God desires steadfast love from humanity, not sacrifice, and not obedience that would do away with the need for his sacrifice. Yet even the best of us fail to do that. Jesus came to be our substitute, even the substitute of our best intentions. They just aren't enough. God is more holy than we give Him credit for by what we assume is a good offering. He's way more holy than we can imagine. We need Him so much more. We need Jesus so much. We need Him so much more than we can possibly understand in order to be with the Father. And that is how we come into chapter 14. Okay? with it obvious 
how much we are in need of a real Savior. Even men who have been walking with Him for at least three and a half years. Now imagine then, as you come into 14, how badly you'd be reeling right now if you were Peter. Imagine how they all feel. Because the your in 14.1 is plural. These men are being brought face to face with the fact that one of them is going to betray Jesus. Peter is going to deny Him three times before the sun comes up. Jesus is going to go away, and they're all going to forsake Him and flee before the night is over. Imagine how fragile they must have actually felt in that moment. How helpless, how weak. And beloved, what they're being faced with is ultimately just the reality of their humanity. There's one human being that was fit for what is about to take place. One. One that could hold up under the weight of it. And it wasn't any of them. So there's a lack of ability here on the part of the disciples to do the right thing, to do what is needed. And as a result of that, there is a lack of recognition about who Jesus actually is, even though they've been with Him all this time. Being with Him was not enough to make them acceptable to God. They needed a substitute. Right? That's what is clear after all this time, as they get close to the cross, the reason for the cross is becoming more clear. Right? Jesus didn't come to recruit. He came to die. He came to die. Let me read 1 through 4 of 14 again. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. The literal rendering is, don't let your hearts shudder. This is Jesus. This is His heart for us in light of our insufficiency. It's His sufficiency. He says to them, I wouldn't tell you all this if it wasn't true. Beloved, there will be times, maybe a time, when instead of dying, you deny. When instead of standing, you fall. That's who Jesus is speaking to. You can't let your heart shudder. Why? You don't need to. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because someone has stood in our place without faltering, we will never have to bear the weight of perfect performance on our shoulders. You believe in God, don't you? Then believe in the Savior He sent. Believe in Jesus and you will be Safe. He died for you. He rose again for you. He ascended back to the Father for you. He intercedes for you. He loves you. He will return for you. There's not one single atom or cell or anything else in this entire universe that we were ever meant to depend on for our salvation, apart from the finished work and the beauty and the glory and the love and the sufficiency of the risen and reigning Christ for us. 
Rest in Him. He is enough for you. We cannot let our troubled hearts get the best of us. We can't. We're safe in the arms of the shepherd. Be at peace. We don't live in the night before Jesus died. You and I live in the long, victorious day after. It is finished now. It's finished. And our troubled hearts, whatever they feel, don't determine our reality. Jesus Christ determines our reality. He's our everything. Do you believe in God? Then by all means believe in His Son. There will be times that all seems lost. There will be times when our entire world crumbles from underneath us. Don't let your heart shudder. Don't let it be troubled. You believe in God. You trust Him. Believe in His Son. Trust in Jesus. That's Christianity at its essence. That's what it is. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus to be not only the forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future, but also to be the perfect, righteous obedience to God credited to your account so that you not only stand before the Father clean and forgiven, but perfect and righteous. Jesus accomplished both of those things in His life, death, and resurrection. He didn't just get you clean to the finish line. He ran the race for you and won. He did both. And we need both or we die. This is Christianity. Christianity is not a religion of what we can do for God or what we become for God. It's a story of a God who became one of us to do what we could not. It's His story. We live in it. The context for Jesus' comfort here is not merely a matter of doctrine that we're meant to identify and file away, although it, it is that, that's there. But what, what's, what's the context of all this? What's happening? Every single one of these men are about to fail catastrophically. Jesus Christ did not die for hypothetical sins or hypothetical sinners. He died for real sinners, real ones, actual ones, who committed things he had to die for to cover and didn't do things he had to live righteously for to cover. Jesus knows they're about to fail him. He knows that's what's about to happen. What is his word? You hear in that context then the love and the mercy of our Savior for these men in these verses. He knew what they were going to do and not do. And these were His words to them. As they are to you and I, now, in the living Word of God, in the midst of our own lives. Have you ever made a promise to God you didn't keep? And you really meant it? Have you ever been sure that you've gotten where you needed to be and things are going to be different and you blew it? You ever rededicated your life and really meant it and then blown it again? Jesus doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. He's always our substitute, never breaking promises, never needing to recommit. He knows us. God remembers that you and I are dust, but we're his dust. 
and we will not be lost. Everything Jesus is saying is about security, mainly. That's the security we have in Jesus, our great Savior. So in verses 2 through 4, when Jesus speaks of going and coming again, if he's referring to his second coming, then it, it, it means he's going to the Father in heaven after his death and resurrection where he will prepare rooms or mansions in his Father's house for his people and will then return to take them to those places one day. But it could be if Jesus is referring to where he which in John's Gospel, John is very careful to make clear that Jesus is the dwelling place of God. Jesus is the Father's house in John. John has been very clear about that. So if Jesus, when He says that, is referring to where He is going, in His dying for them, He means that He's going to make Himself ready to be the place where they will meet God, where they will come into His presence in Him. Now, there is no doubt that Jesus will literally return for us and take us to the place He has for us. Never doubt that. There's no question about that at all. It could be, however, that here, in this text, He means He's preparing Himself to be the means, preparing Himself to be the means by which we will go to the Father. He's preparing Himself to be that for us through His death and resurrection to become the place for us. And He's saying, I have room for every single one of you and us. I will come again. What does He say? I will come again and take you to Myself. Now that would also calm a troubled heart, wouldn't it? If that's what He meant. That's very personal. Yes, Jesus Christ will come again, literally, bodily, physically, and take us with Him. He will come and get us. We'll be caught up with Him. No mistake. No question. And I have no doubt that our eternal accommodations will be literal, and they will be probably pretty nice. Right? No question. But beloved, also realize, also realize, what we have in the person of Jesus Christ Himself. In Ephesians 2.16, we have been reconciled to God in one body. We are His body. We are the fullness of Him who fills all in all, Paul says in Ephesians 1.22. Our longing to have an eternal home will be fulfilled in our Savior, our refuge, our shelter, our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a physical, tangible, actual new heavens and new earth, beloved. Paul tells us that all who believe are seated with Him right now in the heavenly places because God raised us up with Him in Ephesians 2.6. How can that be? We were in Him when He died and rose from the dead. The Father gave Him all His own and He took them with Him to the cross, out of the grave and into the sky. Yes, we live still Actually, really, in the here and now. No question. We don't want an what they call an over-realized eschatology. Right? An over-realized view of the end. That leads to a myriad of problems. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about the already and the not yet nature of what it means to be in Christ. 
the Father gave us to Him. And, and here we live. We're not physically there yet. We're not there yet. And yes, our hearts are often troubled. Yes, we still live and struggle in this life, in this very real world. But from God's perspective, our souls, that which is eternal by His design, they are safe. And they are safe because we are in His Son. He got us and took us with Him all those years ago, which is why Paul says things like, from heaven we await a Savior. From heaven we await a Savior. On earth... Philippians 3.20, we're safe in His hands. The Lord Jesus prepared a place for us and there is room in Him. Many rooms, if that's what He meant. Room for us all. Maybe verses 2 and 3 make it hard to pin down precisely which going and returning He's talking about. And that, that I think that might be because He's referring to two things. His resurrection and His return for us in the eastern sky one day. Either way, We are His is the point of that passage. He's not going to forget us. He's not going to leave us. He will take us to the Father. We will live forever. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's why He says in verse 4, You know the way to where I'm going. You know the way to the Father. I have been... He's referring to Himself. I have been standing in front of you for three and a half years. You know the way. You see what He's saying? Well, sometimes what Jesus says is so good we can't believe it or we miss it altogether. It's what you see in verse 5. Thomas, of course it's Thomas, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I I love it that Jesus must have been so accessible to these men that apparently you felt totally comfortable saying to somebody that could calm the waves with his voice. Not really. Because that's what he's saying. It's like, yeah, we actually we don't. We, We don't know the way at all. What are you talking about? Now again, don't miss Jesus' answer. Don't miss the context of the I am statements of Jesus. He is responding here to misunderstanding and doubt and fear, right? And and a lack of assurance. That's the context of verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, no one comes to the Father except through me. The way to God is not a concept to grasp. It's not a list of rules we must keep. It's not even ultimately a body of facts and evidence with which we must agree. The way to God is the person being presented to us in this book. The person of Jesus Christ. It's a completely exclusive claim here. But it's not as though Jesus is saying, I'm the top option among many ways. There are many ways you can get to God. I'm the main one. There are many truths out there. There are many kinds of life. No, no, no. If this claim is true, it automatically eliminates any and every other option of way, truth, and life. Right? If this is true, there are no, there is no list. Right? There is no list. What would be the sense of a list if there's only one way to get somewhere? Jesus is that way. That's what he's just said. There's no way to the Father but through me. The only way human beings get back to the Father is in and through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. He's where we come back to God. Because, why why is it Him? Because He is where God's design for humanity is accomplished. 
Jesus Christ came and accomplished as God, but also as man, what a human being would have to do in order to go into the presence of God. Therefore, He's the truth. You see, therefore, He's the truth. Because He alone embodies the ultimate and supreme and final revelation of God Himself. That's what it means that Jesus is the truth. There is no other truth. It's Him. And He is the life because He has life in Himself. Remember how John starts out his Gospel. In Him was life. And that life was the light of man. He is the resurrection. He's the overturning of death. Remember John 11. He's the means. He's the path to God. The truth. The opposite of every lie. And the life. The only way out of death. Out of the curse. Jesus is so exclusive because Jesus is so correct. He's so exclusive because He is the way, the truth, and the life. Words matter. It's a whole different thing. It creates a whole different thing in our minds if I say we're going to a movie or we're going to the movie, right? Which would probably be the first Star Wars, would be the movie that we all would, or, or the first Rocky. That would be the movie. All other movies are false. Rocky won Star Wars. That's the way home. But it's an entirely different thing, isn't it? You, you understand what I mean? If I say we're going to see a movie, we're going to see the movie. This is how Jesus talks. Nowadays, whether or not something is, what's the standard of truth in our culture? Probably in America, whether or not something is considered true or valuable or worthwhile is whether or not it's tolerant and exclusive or, or inclusive. Sorry. The problem is, it, right, I, I think I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but it, how you define those terms eliminates the word itself, right? That's how we determine what is true now. There's a standard out here that says, what is true and good is is this and this and this. So for something to be true, it has to line up with this. That's all, that's that's always the case at every stage of man in every culture. There's a body of truth out there that everything is measured against to determine whether or not it's valuable or worthwhile. Jesus Christ stands over the ages, eliminating every other way truth in life but Himself. That's it. Because the ultimate truth is that God created the heavens and the earth. And He is King over the heavens and the earth. And we are His creation. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for His own glory. Right? That's what's going on in the universe. That's the standard. Everything gets measured against. Right? That's Jesus comes in to say, I meet that standard. And I proclaim myself to you. After he says this, he doesn't give a list of instructions. He continues to reveal himself to his disciples. There's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. You say, well, that's very exclusive. Right, because it's exclusive. That's just an observation of what is true. There's no other name. Jesus isn't like fighting Buddha. Like, no, 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 it's me. No, there is no fight. It's, it's me, Jesus is saying. It's me. 
right? No other human being went to the Father. Not like this, that there's only Jesus. Since He is the way, He is also the truth and the life. When did Jesus say this? What was going on in the world at that time? What was in a day when rigorous observance of the law was thought to be the way to God, Jesus defined the way to God in terms of allegiance to himself alone at the expense of everything else. He walked right into probably the the most effort there has ever been, concerted effort to get to God and said, it's me. It's me. Jesus brings an entirely new grid. If there was another way to the Father, Jesus would not have made this claim. Because he's the truth. If truth resided in something or someone else, Jesus wouldn't have made this claim. If the life, if life could ultimately be found in someone or something else, Jesus wouldn't have made this claim. But Jesus is exactly who Jesus said he is. He was perfectly obedient. He was perfectly faithful. And he offered up that life as a perfectly sufficient sacrifice. Therefore, God raised him from the dead. It's not possible that death can hold someone that has accomplished all that. Death is a sentence for sinners. Jesus was not that. He became sin to die for us, to be punished for what we had done, but that's not who he was. He wasn't bearing the weight of his own sin. He was bearing the weight of our own. Substitution is everything. It's everything, not just for my forgiveness, but for my righteousness. And just, I, I don't, I don't know if you know this or care about it. You don't need to. I don't even know that I would want you to as my church, right? But maybe the biggest fight right now in evangelicalism is over substitutionary atonement. Did Jesus really die as a substitute being punished for other people's sins? That's what's in question now. Why? Because that sounds like they call it divine child abuse. Right? It's, it's unfair. Look, I, I'm gonna be, I don't care about those categories. Unfair, fair. I, I, if he didn't do that for me, I rot for eternity. If he's not my forgiveness and my righteousness, I will spend eternity in eternal conscious torment in hell, which is precisely and only what I deserve. From God. The Bible doesn't just proclaim substitutionary atonement as clear as day. If it didn't, there is no reason for us to gather here. None. There's no hope. He's everything. He's everything for you, for you and I. Right? In our place, you and I. Forty days after his resurrection, speaking of being in our place, He went back to the Father. Which means, beloved, as we speak, humanity has gone back into the presence of God. Our substitute is where we could never get on our own. The God-man now stands in the presence of God. Literally. That's happening right now somewhere. Forever. Forever. He is our way home. He's the way back to Eden. 
and a better Eden. Imagine such a thing. He is where all that was needed for us to be in God's presence was accomplished and now resides. There is only Jesus. There's only Jesus. Beloved, we don't need tweaked, right? We, we don't need some moral improvement and a dash of willpower and discipline to go back into the presence of God. We need a substitute. We need the way. We need the truth. We need the life. Even in the midst of our best intentions. So let us bank forever on the person of Jesus Christ. We're not meant to live like it's still the night before Jesus died. Right? We're, we're, we're not meant to live as though the issue is still in doubt. With nothing but our doubt and uncertainty and inability just clouding over us, causing us to ask questions that Jesus has already answered, beloved. And, and look, when you ask them, He doesn't throw you out of the house. He, he, he won't throw you out. God has made perfect provision for eternal life only and fully in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our forgiveness, our righteousness, our representative, our substitute, who Jesus is, He is for me, in my place. Don't be afraid. I know it's just words, but it isn't just words. Don't be afraid. Don't be uncertain. Don't wonder whether you measure up. The cross means we don't. (laughs) We don't. We don't. But the cross also means we don't have to. Because only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what he is for us, for all who believe. For you, if you will believe on him this morning. For you, there isn't a person in this room, not a person in this room, that God will reject if you come to Him. Not one. Not one. So you come. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you come. That's one way to do it. There's no need to reject the answer we're all looking for. There's no need for that. Know Him. Know Jesus and live. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And only is He this. And He's that for us, for all who believe. June is going to come. Play. We'll sing a final song of invitation. I'll be here at the front. If any of you need to come and pray for any reason, you wish to join our church or be baptized, by all means, come and tell us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for... I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for the opportunity to speak it. I thank You for everyone that has been here this morning and been willing to listen while I've talked. Father, I pray that You have been heard. I ask now that Your Holy Spirit would walk amongst us. May your voice in the gospel go out and bring dead sinners to life that they might come and believe. Lord, would you comfort and strengthen your people that our hearts would not be troubled. We believe in God, yes, but we also believe in the Savior he sent. Let him be our rock. 
Let him be our peace and strength. And these things I ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. this morning everyone one quick announcement before i pray and we close uh, we did not have the lord's supper this morning because monday thursday's coming and we'll have that special time together but uh, we're, we're still the deacons are still going to collect the benevolent offering this morning if you have anything you'd like to give towards that they'll be at the exits let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed father we praise you for your son jesus christ we praise you for the way the truth and the life that you provided in him and lord may everyone in this room be there when he comes to claim us as his own. I ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.